How we doing? Well, yeah, it's, it's good to be inside when it's 15 degrees outside, right? It's always good to be in a room. Um, like Tony said, my name is Tommy. I get the awesome privilege of being on staff. I love what I do. I love my job. Um, and like you said, if it's your first time here, if you've never been around and you were looking for the textile factory, not the church that's in a factory, that's next door. Um, but this is actually the church that's inside a factory. And I'm just kind of kidding, but I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad that you would take some time out on this cold Sunday morning and come check out Grace Church. Um, but if you're new, to, new or you're just coming around, you kind of jumped in in the middle of a conversation that we've been going through. Um, and it's through this conversation on Unstoppable. And what we've been doing is looking at a statement, and we've been kind of seeing how that plays out in everyday life. Um, and the statement that we've been kind of drawing out is this. It's, um, when the people of God become uncomfortable for the things of God, it unleashes the power of God, and we join the unstoppable movement of God. And what this is saying is that when we become uncomfortable or when we step out of what the norm is and get outside of the thing for the things of God, we get uncomfortable for the things that are important to Jesus, um, things start to happen that unleashes us into something crazy and we get to be a part of something that's bigger than we could ever imagine. That's basically what this is saying. And what we've been going through is kind of looking at this last part where we are now is joining in the unstoppable movement of God. So last week, Tony talked about the unstoppable message or the gospel of Jesus. Um, and if you weren't here, you can check that out online. Um, but real quick, what he said was the story of Jesus and what he did, that message is meant to go out to people. So what we're going to be looking at today is specifically how does that message get out to people? Or another way to say it, the unstoppable mission. We're going to be looking at what is the unstoppable mission of God and how does that play itself out? So in order to look at that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a question up here, and I kind of want us to process this together real quick as we kind of start this whole thing out. And here's the question. Who are the people that have influenced you into who you are today? Who are the people that have influenced you into who you are today? Um, for some of us, as we start to, there might be faces or names that come to mind, and there might be really, really good things. They might be things like, man, that person, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here right now. Um, if it wasn't for what this person said in my life, I would not be doing the things that I'm doing. I wouldn't have been set on this trajectory. Um, for some of us, though, it may not always be a positive thing. You ever heard about hanging out with the wrong, wrong crowd in school? Start hanging out with that group and you start to realize that, oh man, I didn't want to go there. Or you look back and go, man, had I not met that person, I would not have gone down that path. Look, here's the thing. I think whether intentionally or unintentionally, we are all influenced by someone. We're influencing and being influenced by people, whether we realize it or not. Um, it comes out in the phrases we use. Anyone ever told you, man, you sound like your mother. <laughs> it, it comes out sometimes in the vocabulary. Um, my friends and I have certain words that we use together when we're talking. I'm a gamer, so when we're gaming, you hear words like noobs or bronzies, and some of you are like, what are you talking about? You have not been influenced by the same people I have. <laughs> uh, for others of us, it's, it's the way we think about life, the way we think about, man, how do I do life? How do I do it? What does it look like to be a successful life has been influenced by people that are around us. Um, for me personally, I've got a group of people in my life that have a heavy influence, and any time that I can show them off, I'm going to, and it's my crew, uh, this is my family, um, these are my girls. Um, this is 
um, my family. This is my wife, Sarah. So we just got these pictures done recently, and I showed my wife to get the A-OK that, hey, I can show these, and she goes, really, out of all the nice pictures, this is the one that you choose? And I'm like, absolutely. This is like my favorite picture. Um, my wife and I have been married a little over seven years. We have a lot of fun. Um, we love being married. Um, it, is, it is really cool. And these are our two little princesses. These, this is Hazel. Um, Hazel's almost four. She's four in January, which is crazy for me to say. Um, she's in preschool right now. She is very smart and very talkative and very articulate. We never have to know how she's feeling, what she's thinking, what she wants and when she wants it. She is very, very good at making that all known right now. Like she's incredible at it and it's, it's really fun. And then this is Layla. She's about a year and a half. Um, Lay Mays, as I call her, her middle name is May. Um, she, she is a ball of energy. Um, she is also very talkative like her sister but nowhere near as articulate. So it's a lot of, um, but it is interesting. We know when she's hungry because she knows what the fridge is. She walks right to it and points. Um, it's really fun. I love this crew. We have a lot of fun. We laugh a lot. Um, it's a blast. But I actually need to introduce one more member of our family. And no, this is not a pregnancy announcement. Uh, this is Benson. This is our four-legged uh, furry whatever you want to call it. He, he's cool. He's a Schnauzer Terrier mix. His name is Benson. Um, my wife and I actually adopted him uh, about six years ago or so, about a year after we got married. Um, he came from a, some sort of hoarding situation. It was through a shelter. He actually had a twin brother, and his name was Smokey, and his brother's name was The Bandit. So Smokey and The Bandit. Um, we break up families. We only took one. <laughs> um, and that was honestly because the place we lived could only take one. But we, we love our little man. He's great. Um, but here's the thing, Benson's old. <laughs> he is uh, a little more than old. He th we think he's like 12, 13. And as being a little bit older, he's um, started to do things that, you're, that you would s s kind of expect old dogs to do. Um, his bladder doesn't always work indoors, if you catch my drift. Um, he really, really likes when he drinks water, tripping into his water bowl and seeing water go everywhere. And it's a metal water bowl, so it makes noises that it sounds like someone just fell downstairs. And when you got little kids, it's terrifying. Um, but he, he's great, he's our little man, but I'll just be honest, he is very much a stupid dog. Um, we trip over him, like it, something happened. When we had kids, he kind of lost his luster. Like, don't worry, we take care of him, we feed him, he, gets, he goes outside, we, we like, we, he's, he's up to date on shots, like he's, we take care of him, like we don't neglect him. Um, but something happened recently that made me realize all this stuff about him. So. My little three-year-old, we were sitting around, Sarah and I were doing something, and Hazel was playing, I don't remember what, and Benson did his patented water bowl fall into it, water goes everywhere, metal clanging, and we're sitting there like, ugh, whatever, until something came out of the mouth of my three-year-old. Stupid dog. <laughs> and my, without dropping a beat, the second it happened, she was like, you stupid dog. And Sarah and I looked at each other and started laughing, and they were like, oh, can't say that anymore. <laughs> my daughter was influenced pretty heavily, unintentionally, by the people around her in how she views Benson. Now look, we love our little man, he's great, but the way my daughter perceives Benson has been influenced. She didn't stop and think to myself, huh, how do I think about life? Well, maybe I should think of this dog as a stupid dog. The people around her, my wife, myself, others, the way we have talked about, the way we have acted, the way we have done, has influenced her and shaped the way she views this dog. 
Look, I think if we're honest and we step back, I mean, this is kind of a funny example, but if we look at ourselves, I think all of us have been influenced in some ways in the way that we view things, the way they interact with people, the way we perceive life has been influenced. So here's the bottom line. We're all influencing someone. I think we're all influencing someone, whether intentional or unintentional, whether in the phrases we use, the vocabulary, even the way we view life and the way we talk about it, the way we interact with people, it influences those around us. And here's the thing. I don't think this is an accident. And I don't think this is a bad thing. In fact, I really do believe that God knows this and he created this and wants to use this principle to play out his mission. So understanding this, that we all influence, is critical in understanding how God's mission plays out in a day-to-day basis. It's incredibly critical. So what we're going to do is we're going to be unpacking that. What is the mission and how does this play out in that mission? How does the influence we have on each other play out? Um, So if you want to open up your Bible or your smartphone, um, we're going to be in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, um, if you do not own a Bible, in the seats in front of you underneath, there should be a, some black hardcover Bibles. Um, we're on page 698 in those. Feel free, if you don't own that, take that home with you. Or if you're like, oh snap, I don't know what to get for so-and-so for Christmas, you have now a Christmas gift that you can give to somebody if you want to give that. And I'm like half serious about that. Um, no, we think it's really important that everyone has a copy of God's Word. Um, if you we seriously take that. But we're going to be on page 698. And I kind of want to set the scene for what we're going to jump into today. Um, so basically at this point, you're towards the end of the book of Matthew. And the whole book is about Jesus, his life, his death, and what happened after. And where we're picking up in this story um, is after Jesus has come back to life. So Jesus spent his whole time in ministry with his dudes, with his disciples. He spent all his time with these guys. And when he died, after he came back, the first Easter happened, we're going to pick up in the story where he's kind of giving the final charge. Or he's giving kind of like, hey guys, here's the game plan. Here's what I want you to do based upon my whole life and the experiences we've had together. And that's where we pick up today. So we're going to be in verse 16. So Matthew 28, 16. So if you want to follow along as I read, that would be great. Um, He goes, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All right, I want to pause real quick. Two things I want to highlight. Um, The first is this. You may see up here, it says, then the 11 disciples. If you've been around, you may have, or you've been around church, or maybe you've heard something about Jesus and his 12 disciples. Um, The reason there's only 11 is because one of the disciples was basically like a snitch and ratted Jesus out and helped be part of the plan that was to kill Jesus. This guy's name was Judas. You may have heard that name before. Um, And Judas was actually so distraught that he killed himself. Um, So now there are only 11. So Jesus is talking to the final 11 guys. Um, And and there's actually one more point I want to point out um, in this part, and it's this. Jesus says something really, really important. And I think if we could easily blow over it and not think about it, but it's actually massive. And it's this. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And I think it's important to understand what is this authority. Um, And what this authority is, is to send people, it's, it's to be the way that people know who God is. This authority is now Jesus is the way for people to know who God is. Why do I say that? Well, before Jesus died, and my microphone drops to the ground, Um, Before Jesus died, what happened was, in order to communicate with God and to have that conversation, 
you had to go to a Jewish priest in the tabernacle. So in order to go talk to God, in order to have that conversation, in order to know who he is, you had to go to a specific place, you had to go to that, and that was how you communicated with God. And what happened was, when Jesus died and rose again, he became that conduit by which people could go and know who God was. So he's saying, the authority for people to know who God was has been given to me to be able for people to know. So Jesus now has become the way for people to know. So before Jesus, you had to go through a Jewish priest. After Jesus died and rose again, the authority on how to get to God was through him. Um, And what's interesting is he says it was given to me. I got a question. Um, When you get the greatest gift of all time, or another way, if you were given the authority to do whatever you want to do, how many of you would say the first thing you'd want to do with that is give that away to somebody else? Sounds weird, doesn't it? Like if you stop and think about it, when we're given something great, this is, for better or worse, the last thing a lot of us think of is giving that away to something else. And what Jesus does here is he's given all authority and he does something weird. He actually says, I want to give that authority to my disciples, to my followers, to pass that on, which is crazy. Where do we see that? We pick it up right in the next verse. He gives the authority this way. He says, based upon my authority, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He goes, look, all authority, the way people know who God is is through me, and here's what I want you to do on that. I want to give you that authority for people to know, and I want you to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. The game plan is this. Go and make disciples. Um, This word go here, a better way probably to translate it would be like, as you are going. So therefore, as you are going, make disciples. And and that's this idea of like, as you respond to Jesus, go. (laughs) As you are living life, as you are doing things, as you are living life the way it is, go and make disciples. Uh, um, this This is a big deal. Look, The mission of Jesus, (laughs) the mission of Jesus, the way that plays out, the way his story gets played out is this. Look, this is the big idea. If you don't hear anything else today, nothing else, hear this. This is the big idea. God's unstoppable mission is fleshed out through Christ's followers actively making disciples. God's mission is fleshed out through Christ's followers actively making disciples. This is a huge deal. (laughs) Jesus was given all authority for people to know who God is, and what does he do? He says, through me, I wanna give you the power and the authority to take that to other people to know who he is. And he doesn't just say, okay, go figure out. He says, and here's how I want you to do it. I want you to make disciples. I want you to, as you're going, as you're doing life, I want you to make disciples. And in order to make something, let's just be honest, we kind of have to know what that something is. Uh, You wouldn't make a great dinner and someone asked, what'd you make? And go, I don't know. You have to know what it is and how to make it, right? Like if someone says making chicken enchiladas, you got to know what that is. You got to know the recipe and you got to know what good or great enchiladas look like in order to know you made good chicken enchiladas, right? So if we need to know what does it mean to make disciples, we need to know what is a disciple, What is a disciple? Uh, Maybe a term that you've heard, and I think when we define it, the way we've defined a disciple is simply this. It's really simple. A follower of Jesus. 
A disciple is a follower of Jesus. So if we're to go and make disciples, or are supposed to be Christ followers or Jesus followers, I think it's really important to kind of figure out what that looks like. Um, following Jesus starts with a decision and then leads to a journey. In fact, in scripture, um, I'm gonna show you this graphic that we use that helps explain the spiritual growth process and compares it to natural human growth development. So actually, scripture uses, the Bible uses this language on what does it mean to follow Jesus and talks about a natural kind of progression and it compares it to a person growing up. So this may look familiar to some, this may be new to others, and that's okay, but it starts off being a Christ follower with a decision. It starts off with a decision. And what do I mean by that? At one point, all of us in this room have something in common. <laughs> we all at one point were not Christ followers. No one came out of the womb saying, yay, Jesus, which is a really weird thing to say and a really weird thing to think about. <laughs> but, that, but that's true. None of us came out of the womb and none of us were born saying, yay, Jesus, let's go. At some point, you have to make a decision to say, I want to follow Jesus and believe in everything that he said, who he is, is true, and that's going to change my life. Um, you may have heard this type of person be talked about as like a skeptic before Jesus, a person who hasn't believed yet, or a seeker, or a person investigating Jesus. And I just wanna pause real quick. If this is you, and you're here, I'm really glad you're here. Like, I'm really, really glad that you're here. Um, I've talked to several people, even recently, where they're just like, man, I, I can't call myself a Christ follower, but so I'm, I'm wanting to be here to learn. And let me just say, you're not alone, and I'm glad you're here. Like, this is a great place to come and figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus? What is, what is, who is Jesus and what does he say? Making Jesus make sense is what we're all about around here. But here's the thing. At some point, all of us get to somehow make a decision on what we think about Jesus. And if we say yes to Jesus and we say, hey, I believe what he says is true, and I want to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, something happens. And scripture uses this word of being reborn or born again. We start to be, we become like a child and we see Jesus as a savior and we become receptive to the things of Jesus. So we're like, okay, I believe Jesus is, I'm gonna be a, a Jesus follower and we start to become receptive. But here's the thing, like a baby, we don't know everything. <laughs> this whole idea of being born again, it's not a get into the womb and come out again. That's not what it's saying, um, which is also another really gross picture. Um, what it actually is is almost more like a renewing of the mind. Or it's being influenced by Jesus so that the words, the vocabulary, the way we see life begins to change. It's like a reboot or a reset. And it's sometimes when you talk to people who would consider themselves baby Christians or infant Christ followers, um, it's easy to get frustrated. Because you're like, I said yes to Jesus. Why, is this, why do I not know more than I know? Or I said yes to Jesus, why are things not clicking? Or like, man, why is it every time I hear more about Jesus, I feel like there's so much more I don't know? And let me just tell you, that's normal. <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, another way to say this, um, a few years ago, um, my wife and I, actually let me back up. A few years ago, my wife signed us up for a marathon. <laughs> And I said that very intentionally. My wife signed us up for a marathon. We ran the Chicago Marathon a couple years ago. Um, and it was, it was, I'm glad I did it, 
But I'll be honest, when my wife came to me, we were living in Chicago at the time, and she goes, hey, babe, guess what? I signed us up for the marathon. I was like, what? <laughs> and she's like, and I was like, you got to understand, I was a sports guy in high school. I played basketball. I played soccer. Running was a punishment. <laughs> running was not something that felt like, hey, you know what I feel like doing? Going and running with no ball involved. <laughs> like, that sounded terrible. And I'm like, I love you. Okay, why am I doing this? And then she, she added the great thing. He goes, babe, don't worry. When we run, every single mile we run, we're going to raise money to put a well in Africa. I'm like, oh, now I can't say no, can I? <laughs> and I was like, all right, I love you. I'll give this a shot. And what happened in that moment? I became a baby runner. Never run before. I'd run sports in like high school. So what did I do? I did what every runner should do. I went to Kohl's and found the greatest looking pair of shoes I could find to run in. I found the greatest pair, because I mean, let's be honest, if you're going to run, you got to look good while you do it too, right? You got to look good. And I came back and we were sitting and I'm, I'm talking with my wife and she goes, that ain't going to work. And I was like, well, what do you mean? I just need shoes to run. It's not that big of a deal. And she started to list off like the 30 things that would happen to me as I run long distance that I had no idea were a thing. And I was like, nah, that's not true. And then we started running and all 30 of those things started to become true really, really quick. My ankles started hurting. My back was messed up. I was in a lot of pain. I was more tired than I thought I was. She's like, hey, here's the deal. You actually need to go to a running store, and they need to show you how you run. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. There's different ways to run? No, no, no come on. I run the right way, right? She goes, well, you run a certain way. <laughs> and, we sh and then I started to realize, she was like, oh, yeah, and there's certain clothes that you need to buy for longer distances to help you. And there's also some sort of fanny pack thing that we're going to put, like, adult fruit snacks in that you have to eat while you're running? I'm like, adult fruit snacks, I'm in. That's all you had to tell me. I'm a golden. And like, you have to eat those and we have to train. And oh yeah, by the way, the marathon's in a year. Training's gonna be for a year. I'm like, hang on a second. <laughs> I thought this was like two months out. Look, I had no idea what it meant to be a runner. Absolutely none. I was a baby runner. And the more that I learned, I was like, man, this is crazy. There's more to it than I thought. When we first become believers, we first say yes to Jesus, we can be like that baby runner. We can be like a baby believer. We're like, what do you mean there's more to this? What do you mean following Jesus means X, Y, and Z? What do you mean that, I mean, and this happens to me all the time. There's stuff that comes out like following Jesus means this. And that's why I'm saying, if you feel like, man, I'm frustrated. I'm like, I don't know as much as I, I feel like I should know more. That's okay, that's why following Jesus and being a disciple is a journey that takes our whole lifetime. It's a decision made, and then there's so much more that we learn as we go along. Just to let you know, my wife and I did finish the marathon. She would have beaten me. I got injured, and I'm okay with saying that. She is the runner, and I'm glad to say that was the first and last marathon I'll ever run in my life. <laughs> now, I, I say that all because I think it's really important for us to understand that when if we're baby Christ followers, that we won't always stay there either. Over time, what happens is we grow. We start to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is, and something happens. We go from a baby, and like babies grow up, we become like a child. We become like a child. We start to see Jesus as a teacher, and we become like a student. We start to say, okay, we start to learn the things that Jesus says as we follow him and we take on his ideas. We're like, Jesus says this about something, but this is what I've always believed, and we start to interact with it going, do I actually believe this? So we start, maybe it's with money. Jesus says something about money, and we're like, well, it's my money. And you actually realize, no, Jesus says, actually, it's mine that I've given to you to use. Or this is my house. And he's like, no, this is actually my house. You start to see things differently the way he sees it, but it's still at a point where you're like, I don't really know about this. I'm still trying to figure it out. And then what happens is over time, you start to make a conscious decision 
to see Jesus as Lord. You grow up into like a college student and you start to see him as a servant. Um, You start to take on the opinions of Jesus and make them your own. So that when he says something, you go, okay, I, I have my thoughts and opinions, but I'm willing to take on your things because if this is important to you, then it's important for me. We start to put aside our own thoughts and opinions for the things of Jesus. Um, this has been happening, and this is not just somebody for like, if, look, this is not just something that when you get here, it all comes. You'll learn new things as you go. <laughs> um, there are things that are gonna be open to you that you just had no idea were a thing. Um, for example, for me, the idea of hospitality, probably in the last two years, has been something that God has really been showing me that he has a lot to say on the subject. Um, I grew up in a place where like, when I came home, that's my sanctuary, that's my man cave. I got my TV to watch sports here, I got my gaming stuff here, and I got the fridge right here. Like, that is my man cave, that is my spot, that is my space. When I walk home, that is mine, and like, everyone outside of the world doesn't exist, it's just me and my man cave. And then I realized that Jesus has something to say about how we interact with our neighbors, and how we interact with people around us, and how that's not just for when I'm not home, but that's at all times. And so I had to get rid of the man cave. <laughs> because if I really believe that Jesus says who he says he is, and then I really take on his thoughts and opinions, I need to start to see my house and being hospitable to those around me as a place where people can come to know and experience the love of Jesus Christ. So opening up my home for people to come in and have conversations about what does it mean to actually be a friend to somebody, which was not always easy for me. <laughs> I started to see Jesus as Lord and I am and still willing to take on the things that he says are important. And then something happens as we continue to grow, we start to get to this Ron Burgundy. I mean, excuse me, we start to get to become a mature believer. I have no idea why for this graphic we decided to make it look like Ron Burgundy. And if you don't know that, who that is, that's probably a good thing. Um, but, so, so, but, for some, but what happens is when we become a mature believer or become a maturing believer, we start to see Jesus as friend. And we start to be a coworker or doing the work of the ministry or doing God things shoulder to shoulder. Because what did Jesus say? Jesus says, I give all authority to you and I'm with you always. You start to see shoulder to shoulder and you start to take on the things of Jesus as our own And one of the biggest things that's important to Jesus is shown up in this picture. What is Ron Burgundy? I'm excuse me, a mature believer. What is he holding? What is that? A baby, right? Look, this is intentional. (laughs) Because what we realize is if the things of Jesus are important, and I'm following him, and I'm willing to take the things that are important to him and make them important for me, you realize the biggest command, one of the biggest commandments he says is go and what? Make disciples. This is God's plan to making his name great. This is not plan B. This is not plan C. This isn't an afterthought. He goes, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Jesus says, this is how the unstoppable mission, the unstoppable movement happens. Uh, The way we describe it here is we talk about it as disciple making. And I just want to say, if you're a disciple of Christ, disciples will make disciples. It doesn't say, as you were going, think about disciple making. It doesn't say, as you were going, well, you know, if you get some time, make disciples. No, it says, go and make disciples. And disciple making is simply this. Follow me as I follow Jesus. 
follow me as I follow Jesus. This is the way we define it around here. And it's not a like, be like me. It's as I am pursuing Jesus, as I am a disciple of Christ, follow me so together we can chase after what does it look like to follow Jesus to its fullest capacity. This is the method by which Jesus' message is supposed to spread to the entire world. This influences, and we talked earlier about influence, influence one another. God uses this influence in each other, in us, together, intentionally, so that his message can be spread. Okay, put yourself real quick. So Jesus is talking to his 11 disciples. Put yourself in their Nikes for a second. So you're there, and Jesus looks at you and goes, all right, the things that I did for three years where we were hanging out, doing relationships together, I taught you the things that will, that, of who God is, what my kingdom is, all these things. Now I want you to go do that. Imagine for a second that those 11 guys right there had said, nah, I'm good. And they just stayed in that room, and they prayed, and they, they, read, they read the scriptures, and they talked about Jesus, but they never went out and did it. What would happen? nothing. (laughs) It would have died right there. But what you see is in the whole rest of the New Testament, these guys did this. These guys spent time pouring into other people and saying, this is who Jesus is. And they didn't just say, cool, you're following Jesus, now I back off. No, they came shoulder to shoulder with them and helped them raise more disciple makers to the point where 2,000 years later, through generations and generations, Medina East Campus is sitting here. Look, this is a huge deal. If you really think about it, this is the plan A. Disciple making is the plan A. This is so important to Jesus. This is how we're here. This is why we're here. Because Jesus died, rose again, and said, look, all authority to make God's name great. I'm giving it to you, and I want you to do that through making disciples. And so if we're Christ followers, if we're maturing believers, and we say, I want to take on the things that are important to Jesus and this is a big deal to Jesus, why wouldn't we do it? Why wouldn't we do it? What keeps us from moving into disciple-making? What keeps us from moving? I think there's some obstacles that are just, if we're honest, there's some stuff that maybe in our mind or different traps that we can fall into, there's some obstacles that might hold us back And I want to look at a couple of them real quick. And the first one is this. Man, I hear you. It's important to Jesus, but I'm just too busy. You just, man, my schedule, when you look at it, I just can't add anything to it. There's just too much going on. I know it's important, but maybe later. Um, Let me try to dive into this a little bit. I was reading a a book. I was talking to somebody, and this is a book I read a while ago. Um, And this guy brought it back to me. And it's it's written by a guy by the name of Oz Guinness. That, that's the guy's name, Oz Guinness. The Wizard of Oz meets a brewery. Like, that's the dude's name, Oz Guinness. Um, he is brilliant. Um, he's from, he's a British guy, and he, he I've heard him speak. He is phenomenal. Um, but the whole book centers around different things in life that can lead towards spiritual death that we don't realize. He talks about in this book seven drifts or seven different things that can show up in life that can drift us away and potentially lead to spiritual death. And one of the things he says, I want you to track with me. It may seem a little strange, but it does connect, I promise. This is what he says. Oz Guinness says this. Slothfulness is lots of energy in the wrong direction. Slothfulness is lots of energy in the wrong direction. Now, you may be sitting there going, hang on a second. Isn't busy and slothfulness like opposites? How do these two go together? Um, They're actually not. Another way to say, you might hear the word laziness. 
sometimes it's, you can hear that's the same thing. And you would think busy and lazy are actually the opposite, but they're kind of not. Um, when we hear the word lazy, um, one picture that might come to mind is a couch potato. And, and let me just say, like, a couch potato is still exuding energy. Have you thought about that? I don't know about you, but it takes a lot of energy to find the perfect place on the couch to sit down. And, and you have to be premeditated because you got to make sure you have the right potato chips next to you with the right remotes in hand to choose the right Netflix. That takes a lot of energy. Let me just tell you. <laughs> but here's the thing. That's energy, what? In the wrong direction. It's being busy with the wrong things. Now, I'm not sitting here saying Netflix is a terrible thing. Don't ever do it. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying when we become, that's all we do. We become busy for the wrong things. And I think it's not just in the lazy couch potato, but it's also in the other end where we can fill up our time and our schedule with a bunch of good things and miss the great things. We can fill up our calendar with things that we would say, man, this is really good. And there are good things out there. But we can actually do that to the point where we miss the great things that Jesus wants to be a part of. So my question would be, what are the good things that we need to say no to? If you're like, man, I'm too busy, what are the things in our life, instead of saying I can't add more, what are the things we say no to in order to continue to take on the thoughts and opinions and do the thing that Jesus says is so important? Um, a second obstacle is this. Um, I just don't know enough. It's like, all right, I hear you. I'm, I, I can maybe pull something out of my schedule, make some room, I get that. But you don't understand. I just don't know enough. <laughs> Let me give you three quick encouragements if this is you. Three quick encouragements. And the first one is this. In disciple making, you have Jesus' authority. You have the authority of Jesus. He says this. Remember, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the very next thing he says, therefore go. He's giving you the authority to make disciples. He's saying, look, I want people to know about who I am and who God is to the point of I want you to be a part of that. You have Jesus' authority. So when you're meeting with people, talking, when you're intentional, when you're relational, you have Jesus' authority and something greater. You have Jesus' presence. <laughs> Jesus is with you in those relationships. Where do I get that? The very end, Matthew 28, it says this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You ever thought about that? Jesus is with you? For those of us that call ourselves Christ followers, this is true at all times. Jesus is with you. So in our relationships, in our conversations with people, in our disciple-making relationships, as we figure out what it means to follow Jesus, he's there with you. <laughs> so when you're like, man, I, they ask a great question, you're like, whew, I have no idea. He's there with you, and he can help guide you in the right direction. And I think the last one, the last encouragement real quick, um, is this. We all have something. Maybe you're like, man, I just don't have anything to give. You don't know, like, let me, if you've been a Christ follower for two months, you got two months worth of experience of following Christ. If you have 55 plus years, you have 55 years of experience following Christ that you can help somebody who's got less experience and less growth and come alongside them and help them show what it means to follow Jesus. We all have something. And let me say this too. Maybe you're like, okay, but that doesn't help me in answering the tough questions. We have resources like nobody's ever imagined. <laughs> Got life group leaders who would love to come alongside you and help you figure out, hey, I'm wrestling with this person's talked about this. I don't even know where to go with it. Cool, let's dive into it. 
Um, it's like, I don't even know what to talk about. We have a study called E4 Studies Online. It's a bunch of really easy material. It's like spoon-fed disciple making. It's like, hey, watch these videos, and here's a bunch of questions. When you get together with people, it's a simple, one guy told me, all he does, when he, he asks two questions. Um, what, is God, what is Jesus teaching you, and what are you going to do about it? Uh, it, it? Disciple making is as simple as talking about life and learning the things of Jesus so that way we can grow in what it means to follow him. So you're like, okay, you know, I hear you. Maybe it's, I, I can free up my schedule. I'm busy. But, you know, um, I'm just not sure how to start. I'm not really sure how to get this thing. Like, how do I even start entering into that one-on-one or one-in-a-few relationship with people? Um, let me just give you some things. I stole this from one of our guys here. His name's Steve. Um, he, he, he does a really good job with this. And he, was, he gave me this. And I thought it was really helpful. Um, start with prayer. Start with prayer, and all prayer is just a conversation between you and God. Just start with prayer. Be like, God, I really want to be discipled. Or, God, I really want to disciple somebody. And as you do, ask this, ask him, who is somebody in my life that can disciple me or that I can disciple? Just ask him that. And then over time, <laughs> um, as that name or that face comes to mind of somebody that you, can, that you want to, make the ask, which... When I say this, it it's always sounds weird to me. Make the ask sounds like that junior high boy at the dance who's like walking across the gym. And he's like, will you dance with me? It's like, and we always, you know, we laugh and giggle and stuff about it. But like sometimes this can actually be the scariest part. Because what happens when you ask somebody, you're always afraid of, man, what if they say no? Well, they said no and maybe you can find somebody else. What's worse than making the ask is not making the ask. If you're like, man, I need to be discipled, or man, I, need, I want to disciple somebody, and I've asked that person, and they say no, okay. But if you don't ask, and you sit there twiddling your thumbs going, well, I hope they ask me, it, it doesn't do any good. <laughs> Odds of it actually happening are pretty low. It takes, as we talk about, it takes about being uncomfortable and willing to make that ask for something that's important to God. It's getting uncomfortable for the things of God. After you make the ask, if both people say yes, then just create a rhythm. What that means is disciple-making is not a, hey, I saw you on Sunday. I asked how you were doing. Cool, we went our separate ways. That's actually not disciple-making. Disciple-making is intentional. It's relational. It's made to be together, working together. And I would suggest doing it weekly if you can. Because what it's supposed to do is if we're walking with Christ and if we're living life, living life doesn't happen on a bi-weekly, monthly basis. It happens every single day. So having someone who can come alongside and create a rhythm, a natural rhythm, that's really good. Um, that's what you want to do. And then the last one, repeats. Why do I say that? Well, disciple-making is actually not just supposed to be intentional relational. It's supposed to be another word we use, exponential. And what I mean by exponential is when we raise, if we're raising disciples, we're actually not just raising Christ followers. If they're a Christ follower, they will eventually become a disciple-maker as well. So as we raise disciples, in your mind, be thinking, I'm raising this person to also be a disciple maker. Because what happens is, as one person disciples one person, and they raise them to be a disciple maker, and those both can go disciple new people, now you have four, gone from one to two to four, and then those four that raise the disciple makers, now you have four discipling four, so you have eight. Math, here we go. Then you go from eight to 16, to 32, to 64, to 128, to 256, to 512, and so on and so forth. Math, sometimes I'm good at it. But do you see how it's exponential? 
And what did that start with? One person making the ask and raising a person to be a disciple maker. It's a repeatable process. It's meant to raise people up so that way over time you go from 11 guys in a room, 11 disciples, to us sitting here right now. All right, why is this a big deal to me? Um, you're like, man, maybe some of you are like, okay, I hear you. Jesus said it, so you have to preach that. You have to say all this stuff. Um, this is a big deal to me because I'm here because guys did this for me. I'm here because men in my life looked at me and says, Jesus loves you, and I love Jesus, and I want you to know what it means to follow him. I am a product of disciple-making Guys like my friend named Paul, who's my youth pastor, taught me how to play drums. He literally looked at me as a middle schooler and said, hey, you can kind of hold a rhythm, hop back there. And then taught me what it, not only to be a drummer, but also what it means to use my gifts and abilities to serve others and help people. Guys by the name of John, who in high school was my band leader that drove me to and from church an hour and a half, twice a week, back and forth, where as a high school student, what do I want to talk about? girls, sports, and how much my parents and I didn't get along. And he was like, all right, let's talk about that and how Jesus interacts with that. Guys like Jay, who led the, a ministry at the church and showed me what does it mean to lead people and not just lead them to good programs, but lead them to be disciple makers. Guys like Brandon in college who came alongside me and showed me how Jesus, Jesus permeates all areas of my life, not just church, not just life group but how that changes the way I view everything based off of what he did. And honestly, the biggest one in my life, my dad. Excuse me. My dad, who looked at me and raised me to be a Christ follower, who coached me in what it means to live life, how to do ministry, how to be a father and a man of God. And I can tell you now, he raised not just a disciple, but a disciple maker who now he and I, instead of looking at it like he's looking down, we're shoulder to shoulder doing life together, talking about ministry and how we can raise more disciples together. And it's fun. It's hard. But if it wasn't for these men and many more that I am not even talking about, I would not be here. So why is disciple making important to me? Because I'm a changed man because of what Jesus has done through people, through the influence others have had in me. Look, this is a big deal to Jesus. This isn't some passing thing. This is a huge deal. The unstoppable movement is fleshed out through Christ followers making disciples. I'm gonna invite the band up, um, and as they come, I just wanna leave with three quick challenges. Three quick challenges, and as they come up and settle in, and we'll sing some songs in a second, just got three quick challenges I wanna leave you, um, and the first one is this. Um, check out a life group. You're like, whoa, hang on a second. We're talking about disciple making. Now you're gonna just throw this side plug. Yep. And also, you know why life groups exist? To foster and create disciple-making relationships. That's the reason life groups are there. They're not just there so we can come raid someone's house, eat all their milk and cookies, talk about Jesus, and go home. That, that, I mean, those are all good things, but the reason they're there is to foster relationships so that disciple-making can happen. So you can create, find people that are in that further on than where you are in following Jesus and those that you can come alongside that's what life group is there for. So if you're like, man, I don't even know where to start, check out a life group. Check out a life group. Start to look there. Um, second challenge is this. Ask yourself this question. Who can I ask to be discipled by? 
who can I ask to be discipled by? Who is somebody as you look that is further along the journey that you can go, man, help me figure out what it means to follow Jesus? Who's that person? And make the ask. Get uncomfortable. Try it. Or another question to ask yourself, who can I disciple? Maybe you're a little bit further along in the journey and you don't know all the answers and that's okay. And like, who is somebody that I can disciple? And let me say this too. You can actually do both of these at the same time. And we actually would say, that's probably a really good thing. To be discipled and to be discipling somebody is actually like really, really a good thing. <laughs> Look, here's the bottom line. God's unstoppable mission, it's fleshed out through Christ's followers actively making disciples. Let's pray. Jesus, um, God, I thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for what he's done and the fact that he um, came and died and gave us this game plan, this mission of how to make your name known and how we can relate with one another. God, help us, um, help us to learn what it means to follow you and how, what that looks like. And God, as we make disciples, God, if there's things that are holding us back, God, I know that there's times where things that become obstacles that feel like they get in the way. God, help me to just... Um, God, help us to give those things to you and, and to trust you and to get uncomfortable for those things. Um, God, help us to surrender them if we need to, to give them up so that we can be a part of your unstoppable movement and watch generations from now past us as people know you and, this, and your name is made great far beyond us. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and it's in your son's name. We pray, amen. Mm-hmm.